Hello, and welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast, conversations about impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Joe Polizzi. Joe is the Amazon bestselling author of Content Inc., Killing Marketing, and Epic Content Marketing, which was named a must-read business book by Fortune Magazine. He's founded four companies, including content creation news site, The Tilt, as well as the Content Marketing Institute. In 2014, he received the Lifetime Achievement Award by the Content Council. Thank you for being here, Joe. I'm delighted to have you here. Ursula, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So you've created this model for uh, a content-focused, basically developing an enterprise around content. And I love that you set the stage with um, setting an intention of impact. Uh, That's how I look at it anyway. So, So the two behaviors that make a big difference for you are writing down goals and then consistently reviewing them. I love that part. That's something I really advocate too. So um, in in that process, you talk about record, repeat, and then remove. And that's that third step I'd love to hear more about, removing the clutter in your life. What do you mean by that? I I'm so glad you brought this up because it's it's my favorite thing. So my, my, <laughs> I, I, lo- I mean, of course, uh, I love the idea of, yeah, if you want to accomplish something, you need to actually write it down. And then, of course, you need to review it so that you start off your day uh, with the right intentions as you're talking about. But as you do that, I always thought that there was a third thing that was missing. So I always did the record review, but I was like, okay, well, there, there, there's something else to this method that we have to add. And, and then really figured out was remove because you have in order to accomplish your goals you have to get all the clutter out of your way to do that effectively and if you look at those people that let's say don't accomplish the goals that they want to they're generally doing something else that's not additive to to their lives in some way so i mean i talk Mm -hmm. about in in the content inc book about the amount of television that people watch and by the way there's nothing wrong with watching television i mean i i watch plenty of Netflix shows if I just want to take my mind off of something. But sure. you know, when you get up to three, five hours plus a day <laughs> and you're wondering or you're saying things like, I have no time to accomplish something, right? Then you've got an issue. So you've got to get those things out of the way so that you can accomplish those goals that you're reviewing every day. And I think mm-hmm. you do those three things and record, review, and then remove all that clutter in your way, you you can accomplish anything you want to. It just depends on the timetable. Yeah. Well, I think sometimes what's hard, at least for me in my experience, is I don't always know what's clutter right away. I mean, it becomes apparent over time, but do you have any ways that you really get clear? I mean, TV, it's an obvious, sure. you know, whatever distractions uh, come up for you, but um, what, what do you do to identify what's clutter? You know, it's interesting. You get into ruts every once in a while that you don't even know that you're in. Yeah, exactly. And I like to do every nine to 12 months or so, I'll do a time audit Uh and I'll look at, you know, let's just take a week in time. So you take a snapshot and you just take a journal. I don't do anything fancy. 
and just write down how you spend your day. So, mm-hmm. okay, I spent 15 minutes on Twitter or I just spent 30 minutes going through email or right. I spent 45 minutes with my kids, whatever the case is, just write it down. And then for that week, then you sort of average it out. And by the end, you'll start to see, oh, I had no idea that <laughs> I, I was uh, I was in Twitter two hours a day. You know, who yeah. knew? And right. of course, you have the you know, if you have an iPhone or you have a smartphone of some kind, they will tell you that, oh, my God, you just spent three hours on your phone <laughs> every day for the last week. That's your average. So I like to write those things down. And then, of course, it's very subjective. But, you know, right. I, I know that if I'm spending an hour plus a day in my email inbox, there's a problem. Hmm. Like I'm, I have to get a better system there to get that down. Right. Because, of course, those people that wake up first thing in the morning, if you get in your email inbox, you never know what's going down that rabbit hole. Right. It's very exactly. hard to be productive. So that's what I would recommend to everyone who's struggling with this. Just write it down. Then you'll find, oh, man, I've got another hour here of productive time. Right. Um, so I, what I want to do is move things around, too. So if I've got a lot of watch time or a lot of screen time, I want to move that to something more productive. So I'll try to move that to reading. That's a mm-hmm. big deal for me. If I can move an hour of watch time into at least 30 minutes or 45 minutes of reading time, that's going to change my world. So those mm-hmm. are the things that I want to do. Yeah. It's about learning then rather than just being a passive observer of something. Absolutely. And the brain works in mysterious ways. If you're reading anything, by the way, if it's, if it's fiction or nonfiction, those are where I get my best ideas from actually reading mystery novels. And so right. I, you know, I get the best business ideas when I'm reading thrillers. So I, <laughs> I mean, I know that's not for everyone, but that's what I've learned about myself. That's great. Wow. What a great source to know that you, and you enjoy it. So it's a great. I'm like, Oh, I can't wait to see what new ideas I'm going to have after this crazy book. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Well, one of the core things that you talk about early in your book, Content Inc., is uh, is the uh, pro- the idea of building your audience first and then defining your products and services second. And when you say it, it's like, yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, you want to know who you're providing, you're creating these things for. But I think a lot of businesses get very excited about, oh, I love this amazing thing and I really mm-hmm. want people to find out about it. And they, they kind of do it backwards. So um, why do you think that's, I mean, so crucial beyond the kind of obvious answer? Well, I mean, if you, if you read like zero to one, which is Peter Thiel's book, I talk about in the book, Peter Thiel, one of the first Facebook investors, PayPal, everything. So he mm-hmm. talks about how entrepreneurs need to go out and create a product unlike none in the world. Right. Right. And I'm like, what, like, what, <laughs> who, are you, who are you talking to? Yeah. Like, this is very, that's a very difficult, you can't just throw that out there and say that. I mean, you could maybe if you've got a couple billion dollars behind you, yeah. you could do something like that. It's if you go product first, there's a couple of things that happen. First of all, it's very much capital intensive. So you need a lot of money usually to, you know, make sure you, you've got the right product development and all those types of things. And the other thing is product first companies almost always pivot. You always yeah. change down because once you get to know who your audience is, then you're like, oh, okay, that's not the product. I have to go over here and do this product. Well, let's just flip that model entirely and say, okay, well, let's say you do have a great idea for a product. That's fine. Let's hold that back a little bit and figure out who the audience is. And then what we can do is say, okay, well, instead of delivering the product yet, 
what I'm going to do is I'm going to build a relationship with that audience over a period of time. I'm going to send them some kind of indispensable information that could be an email newsletter. It could be a YouTube series. It could be a podcast like yours or whatever the case is. You do that over and over again. And then you'll create this amazing relationship with your readers or your listeners or whatever the case is. And then they will tell you what they want to buy from you. And that was our case. And of course, I, I detailed that in the Content Inc. book where, you know, when we launched Content Marketing Institute, I didn't really know exactly the products we should launch. And then just started to listen to the blog subscribers, listen to the email feedback, read through all that. And they said, oh, Joe, you know, we would really like some training. Joe, is there any in-person events we could go to for content marketing? And basically everything we launched, the, the next 10 to 13 products, we launched for our audience were all recommendations from them directly. And that's how I believe we grew so fast. And then I went on on this crusade to try to figure out, well, are there more companies out there that are doing this, you know, audience first product, <laughs> second model. And of course that's the whole book. There's hundreds of case studies in the book that talk about this. I just think it's a better way to go uh, instead of just launching a product first. That's probably not 99% of the time. It's not going to be right. Anyways, you're going to have to pivot. So just don't. So just figure out, build a relationship with your audience first and then launch the product second. Yeah. So I'm, I'm anticipating and, and uh, wondering if people are then asking themselves, but so if I build an audience, like how do I even start in the sense of um, what do I talk about or what do I provide content on? Just uh, something you're passionate about. I know you you have an opinion about that in, in your book. Uh, or is it something that you think there might be a need for? How do how do people approach it best? Well, there's of course there's a couple ways to do it, but the first thing is always start with the audience and who it is. And of course, and you know this when you get a lot of companies out there that launch products that don't know exactly who the audience is, and of course right. that's that's yeah. trouble. That's big trouble. Like, yeah. Oh, who's your product for? Everybody. Well, right. then it means it's for nobody. Right. And just same with your content, right? If your content is for everybody, then it's for nobody. You can't boil the ocean. Or what almost or almost ahead. as bad is that you you have some idea, but you don't get into it deeply enough. So you don't understand your audience well enough to give a really targeted, um, specific approach where people can say, yes, that's me. I need that. That's exactly right. And if you just start, and this is the whole thing about, you know, whether you call it customer centric, I call it audience centric. What are your audience's desires? So be very specific with who that audience is. Like, is that a plant manager? If you're a B2B company, is it a plant manager that uh, is, has more than, is, works for a company with more than 10,000 people? Is it that, that they also ship product to India and China? You know, like get very specific with who that audience is and then figure out what their desires are. What are the pain points? What keeps them up at night? You figure that out. And then on the other side, what's your expertise area? What are your skill area? What, what do you have to offer that audience that no one else can offer? And that's where we get to this idea of the sweet spot, which is your, your first uh, kind of leg of the seven step mo content ink model. And if you start there, then, then you'll start to learn. You'll start to figure out, okay, this is what I can talk about. I can talk about you know, Matthew Patrick is a really good example we talk about in the book for a YouTuber um, mm -hmm. on um, his YouTube channel. He really wanted to target gamers, but uh, at the same time, he figured out that he loved math, 
that was a real and that was he was really amazing at math. He scored a perfect score on the SAT and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so what he started to bring in was analytics and math into the gaming environment. His his uh, show is called The Game Theorists. And now he's got over 13 million subscribers. He's a multimillionaire. He's doing everything mm-hmm. he wants to do. But <laughs> you you start by looking at those little things and spend a couple months on it. And then you'll find that area. If you get to know your audience better than anyone else, you will absolutely come up with many, many different ideas for what you should communicate with them on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Well, I know there's been a lot of discussion recently, and we see a lot of examples of less audience-centric marketing and more sharing about who you are as a person, you as the founder of the company or whoever the core person is in the company. So it's a mix of the two. Instead of just focusing on the audience and what they need, it's also a broader kind of uh, transparency, I guess, or authenticity around who the person is behind this kind of stuff. What, what are your thoughts on that? Do you see, a tr- do you see that trend happening and, and does it change anything in the model? I think that it depends on what the story is going to be. I've mm. seen, you see a lot of creators out there, especially as you see a lot of journalists that are leaving traditional media, they're starting Substack email newsletters. They're, you know, they're kind of diverting away from their, this is journalism to I'm telling you stories. I'm telling you helpful stories, but this is me as well. And so they're adding a little bit of personality into it. If that helps tell the story, I'm completely fine with it. You don't have to go that direction either. You could go toward a, uh, leaving that personality out of it. And you'll know, I mean, once you work out all the content, I mean, you, you have to send quite a few pieces of content to, un- to get into your rhythm and to figure out what sure. the story should be. Yeah. Now with me, I have a personal email newsletter, and then we also have a business email newsletter called the tilt. So my, my personality is not in the tilt that the tilt has its own voice mm-hmm. with the Joe Polizzi email, which is the, my random email. I'm very, I'm very, I'm me. I'm yeah. snarky. I'm I'm going to tell it exactly how it is. I like to talk about cryptocurrency. You know, those things are very much me, but I don't, that doesn't come into my business side because, and this is, I mean, you, you could do it many different ways, but it's very hard to exit a business when your personality is so ingrained yeah. into the brand. Yeah. So I always keep my options open from the business side and I don't want it to be about me because maybe I don't want to, work in the business forever. Right. Maybe I'd like to take some time off. Maybe I don't want to write every day or create a podcast every day. So we have a, um, you know, a content market mission statement and we have all kinds of details about here's the voice and here's what we say to this and what we say to that. So it's not just Joe, Joe, Joe all the time. Mm, yeah. Well, and I know you exited at one point, you're kind of back doing this in a different way, but you actually sold the, the company at one point. Yeah, my wife and I, we made a decision. I mean, that's one of the whole thing about the goal setting thing that's that's crazy that it works in 2008. You know, I wrote down, I said, oh, I would, I, I'm going to you know, sell the company for this amount of money in 2015. And what didn't happen in 2015, it happened in 2016, but ended up, you know, selling to a large London-based events company. And we, all of our dreams came true. We were very blessed with the, with the whole thing. And then I you know, took a year off. I wrote a mystery novel called The Will to Die. And now I'm back. And I just, I can't, <laughs> I've got this, I don't know, this entrepreneurial sickness that I just have to keep starting <laughs> businesses. So this is the fourth business that I've started. And, uh, and I'm just, right now, I'm just passionate about 
content creators, content entrepreneurs. I feel my my skills are probably better suited to help those people than to help mystery and, and thriller lovers. But <laughs> you know, that's okay. Maybe I'll write another one down the road. But right now I'm all focused on content creation. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I'm on my fourth business too. That serial entrepreneurism. I don't know. It's a bug. It's a sickness, isn't yeah. it? It's, <laughs> we have <laughs> <I> problems. <laughs> well, um, one of the things that uh, is, I, this was part of a conversation I had recently, and I'm curious what you think about it, that, I mean, in my mind, customers and audience aren't the same thing necessarily. So does everyone really need to build an audience with like thousands of people? Because some businesses get along just fine with 250, 500, 1,000 avid followers and I'm thinking about one-on-one service provider kind of companies where, um, I mean, the price point has to be right. The nature of the work has to be right, but um, it's not necessarily necessary for a business that doesn't want to scale um, is what I'm thinking. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I, I would look at it this way. So one of my mentors was Don Schultz and Don Schultz is the father of integrated marketing communications. He wrote a great book called IMC, taught mm-hmm. it. Northwestern University for years, he basically said this, and I believe it. He said, everything that you do as a business can be copied except for how you communicate. I totally believe that. Yeah. So, so here's the thing. So we have to communicate consistently with our customers or with our audience in order to build a long-term relationship with them. That's what we have. That's all we have. Now, does that mean you need a massive audience to be successful? No, a massive audience could be 50 people, 100 people. I remember this is back 20 years ago. I did a project for Hewlett Packard Agilent Technologies and it targeted 150 executives. Hmm. We ran it for quite a long time and we delivered them amazing, helpful information on a consistent basis to 100, 150 people. Well, those 100 to 150 people had millions of dollars of buying power. They right. didn't, that's if they create a, a relationship with those people, that's, that's fine. Hmm. So it really depends on the type of business you're running, but my friend Andrew Davis said this really, really well. He said, if you build an audience, you're developing a pre-customer database. Oh, so if you go out, so if you do this audience first thing, you're probably thinking, okay, well, you know, how do I do this? And how do I launch a project product and when? Well, you're building the customer database for you for the future. These are these are the people that will buy from you. Yeah. And I don't care what your minimum viable audience is. We talk about this in the book. Brian Clark from Copyblogger coined this, basically says you get at a point where you can start to monetize when you get to a minimum viable audience. Mm -hmm. So what is that for you? That could be 100 people. It could be 50,000 people. For me and um, Content Marketing Institute, for us, it was 10,000. 10,000 email subscribers. We knew if we got to that point, we could start to monetize. Mm -hmm. Matthew Patrick that I talked about with YouTube, his was 500,000 because he's talking to gamers. They don't have a lot of buying power. He needed more sponsorship dollars to make that thing run. Right. Great. That's his model. Hmm. But I would, I would look at it as regardless of whether you have a product or not, the best thing you can do with your customers is communicate with them on a consistent basis and deliver value every time you do. So think about, sure. are you delivering indispensable information every time you send an email, every time you send a tweet, every time you send a podcast? If you do that, you're going to do something very special for your customers and they're going to give that love back to you in the form of they're going to buy whatever you have to offer. That's what we found with 
Content Inc. models is, is that once you build a relationship, they literally will buy whatever you have because they just <laughs> love everything you've given, all the value you've given them, them for so long. So that's how right. I would look at it. Yeah. And I think people kind of get hung up on this word audience in a way because there's so many programs now out there of, you know, six figures in six days. And all you have to do is follow my amazing process yeah. for getting 10,000 followers on Instagram and, and stuff like that. So I think that the two have become linked in a way that is not helping people to think about their businesses in a way that's smart and specific to what they're doing. I can't stand the whole hustle. Yeah. The whole hustle <laughs> thing and get the followers and yeah. do this and that. And this is where yeah. the, no, the content model is quite a bit differently. It's not a get rich quick thing. I mean, <laughs> if, if you look at the examples in the book, it's generally takes nine months to get to revenue. It's a long-term process, but the, the good news is, is once you get to year two, three, you usually see some hockey stick growth because <laughs> you built an audience they're starting to, you start to have products and services. You're starting to buy. I wouldn't, I, you know, don't, I wouldn't let people think that audience is a bad term and you don't even have to use that. I like to use subscribers because, um, you know, subscribers actually request my content right? and they have to double opt in to get it for my email. So they have to go through some barriers to at least get that. And then once you have that relationship and they continue to open email newsletters, I'm like, I, I just sent an email note out to our best subscribers. And these are the ones that open every email newsletter for the past two years. Hmm. I mean, can you get, can you That's get a better relationship incredible. than somebody that opens every email you send? Yeah. I love these people yeah. and they will do anything. They're like the greatest influencers for me ever because yeah. they'll say whatever you need, Joe, you know, you, you need, you need a book review for content. Ain't great. I'm there. I mean, it's, it's like an army on your side that will do yeah. anything for you. So That's fantastic. I, I would, I would just think about again, we get so focused on what we need to sell and, oh, we need an audience so we can sell something. Just focus on building a relationship with a few key people. Kevin Kelly talked about a thousand true fans. Yeah. If you build just a couple that are on your side, then you can build a few more and a few more, and then you'll figure out what your minimum viable audience is that you can actually have a business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. Great way to look at it. So a key step in your Content Inc. model is... Um, the content tilt and you you've referred to your newsletter already but so it's it's my understanding is it's basically finding an area of little or no competition so that content can kind of cut through all the mm -hmm. static so uh, I, uh, here's a sort of basic question how do you do that how well do you the, find yeah. something unusual we can go with, yeah a couple of examples i'll give you but the first thing is most companies, most entrepreneurs stop at the sweet spot. They're like, oh, okay, well, here's our audience. Here's their needs. Here's our expertise. We'll match that together and we'll start sending them information. And then you're like, okay, well, there's a thousand other companies that are doing the same thing. Right, right. Like just, uh, you know, type cloud computing into your favorite search engine and see what comes up. And you'll see <laughs> Salesforce and Amazon and Oracle and IBM with almost identical content. Yeah. around that topic. And I just shake my head. I'm like, here's a billion dollar company. And they're basically not, not differentiating themselves at all huh. when it comes to this very important term. So here's the thing to your, yeah, you have to actually have something different to say in a different way. Um, some people call this a hook so that you can ensnare your audience, right? You can do something amazingly different. So I always like to focus on 
web competition. And I like to use great tools like Google Trends and to see, okay, what what's crowded, what's not, you know, look at your, those search terms. So how do you do this? I mean, you could do it by changing the story. Like we did at a content marketing institute by calling the entire industry something different. It was called custom publishing at the time. Mm-hmm. And then we called it content marketing. Nobody was using that term. And we figured, well, if this is targeting marketing, you can't call it publishing. You have to call it marketing. So right. we just said, let's call it content marketing. Some people don't like that term, but you know what? It took off. It did. Um, HubSpot marketing automation company, uh, HubSpot did the same thing with inbound marketing. Mm-hmm. And it took off for them. And now they're like a $15 billion company. Yeah. So you could look at it by positioning the story a little bit differently. You should, could look at it by really going in depth on the audience niche. So, um, or the industry niche, if you will. So we talked about that idea of audience before with plant managers. So really go in depth and look at how narrow can you go with an audience group until you can say, well, if I deliver regular information, can I be the leading expert in the world? So like keep going down. It's like, oh, if, if I deliver information to dietitians the, with with my skill area, right? can I be in this, to this audience group, can I be the leading expert in the world? And most people will laugh and they'll say, no, there's no way. I say, okay, <laughs> go down a little d- deeper. So dietitians in this certain part of the world or dietitians with this certain industry uh, niche, can you do that? Well, no, maybe. Okay, we'll keep going a little bit further until you say, yeah, I think if we delivered information to them for the next nine to 12 months, we could become the leading expert in that industry. Good. Now you've got something. Yeah. So you just keep going down and down the rabbit hole. Another way to look at it is on a platform. Maybe there's nobody, maybe there's no dentists out there that have a, a Twitch channel. I, I don't even know if that's a thing, right? It might not be. I mean, there's a there's a really popular political commentator called Hassan. I mean, Twitch was only used for gaming. I mean, my right. two sons use Twitch all the time, but nobody was using it for politics. And then all of a sudden Hassan gets on there and he starts streaming a political conversation all day long. And now he's one of the most political, popular political commentators in the world. Yeah. He just went to a different platform. Maybe there's nobody doing a podcast in your industry. So there's lots of ways to differentiate and cut through the clutter. I would just say you have to realize that if you just stop at the sweet spot, what that audience desire is and what you want to talk about, it's never, ever going to be enough. You have to figure out why people should care. Why are you industry? Why are you interesting in some way? Why are you going to be different than the other hundred companies creating content in this industry? And that's, that's where most people stop. So if you do that, you're never going to, you're never going to cut through the clutter if you don't go down that rabbit hole a little bit and figure out and say, oh, we can be the leading expert in that. Okay, good. Let's do that for nine to 12 months. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And people are so reluctant. I know when I'm coaching clients, the one of the things that ha- is the toughest hurdle for a lot of people is, yeah, but if I go narrow, then am I limiting my income? Am I, you know, really honing in too much and I'll eliminate everyone else? But you're absolutely right. And in my experience, the more specific the niche, the better you do. And it doesn't exclude other people from coming into your sphere. But that's the important thing, right? Because people think, oh, if I market this way, then I can't accept outside business that comes in. Sure you can. I (laughs) I work with agencies all the time. They're like, well, if, if we focus our agency on just accounting services, what if somebody wants to come in that's in pharmaceutical? I'm like, you could take 
take take whatever right. you want. Right. You know, you can take that business, <laughs> just, but that's a decision you're going to have to make for the business. What we're talking about is marketing. That's a little bit different. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, in in the same realm of kind of honing in and speaking, picking a, a really narrow um, field that that a narrow audience field. There's you also um, recommend that people pick one platform as a base, and that again is counter to a lot of the sort of out you know the wisdom quote unquote out there of be on every platform, mm-hmm. do everything. So talk more about why, why is one platform so important? It's the, it's the data, the, the case studies say it. I mean, if, if the case studies said, Hey, uh, when you get a specific content niche and just spread your content over 17 platforms at the same time, if that said that was the way to do it, that's what I'd be talking with you about right now, but that's not. If you look at how any media company since the dawn of time became successful and built an audience, they focused on one key uh, channel, one key content type, whether it's a, a New, York, New York Times and a newspaper or whether it's um, a BuzzFeed and you know a blog post or whether it's TED Talks and an in-person event series. They've all done it by saying, oh, we're going to do one channel with, and we'll do it in one way, one content type. So what I love about this is the fact that small businesses and entrepreneurs can actually uh, get a simpler model. They don't have to create content everywhere. You don't have to be on TikTok, right? You don't have to right. be on, do the Facebook group thing. Yeah. You don't have to have a podcast. What you have to do is be great at one. So hmm. have the best email newsletter in your industry, have the best blog in your industry, have the best podcast, have the best Facebook group, but focus on that for a long period of time. And generally a couple years is what we're looking at. And if you look at all the case studies that we talk about in the book, accidentally Wes Anderson is a really good one because my friend Wally Koval started that basically every, an image a day on Instagram that looks like it came out of a Wes Anderson film. So you're <laughs> like really crazy stuff, right? He started as just a vacation planner. And he just said, oh, I'm going to put these up. I'm going to put a little more detail up there. And then now is three years later, he's got over a million followers. All he does is Instagram. He doesn't, he's not on Twitter. Yeah. He doesn't do clubhouse. He doesn't do any of these other things. He's just said, look, I have to focus. There's enough in Instagram where I can be the best, where where I need to, to learn so I can be the best and just focus on that. So what I would say to anyone listening is, is that probably instead of creating new channels, you probably need to kill some. Yeah. You probably need to say, well, if you're on five, if you're spreading your content around on five or six different social media platforms, it's you're probably don't have a re- enough resources to be great mm-hmm. at those channels. So I would focus on one, whether that's the email or the podcast or the blog, and then maybe a couple of social channels like a LinkedIn or a Twitter that you can build followers on to get people you know, to, to go back to your main base. But that's the model. That is the model that we've been looking at. You can go back a hundred years. Ursula is the same <laughs> model. I don't care if it, there's going to be 10 more social platforms tomorrow. It's going right. to be the same model. You only have a certain amount of content energy in the organization. You can only be really great at a couple things at a time. Yes. So focus on what your thing is. And then once you do that, then you can diversify out like most media companies do, but it takes quite mm-hmm. a few years to get there. 
Yeah, that is so good, Joe, because I think people have this anxiety about, ah, I have to do so many of these different platforms. And I, it's part of why people really get discouraged by marketing, I think, because they, they're trying to do everything. It's just not possible until you have the, the kind of collective bandwidth of your company where you can, you can expand into those realms. But for a long time, it's really valuable to just focus on one. So thank you for. Oh, it's, getting, it's, it's a, yeah. it should be a relief to entrepreneurs out there. Yes. Yes. It's like you don't have to be, every, I mean, I'm, and I feel bad because let's see, I started, speaking and doing this thing about 2007. And I remember in my first book, I said, you have to be everywhere your customers are at online. And of yeah. course, there was like five places then. So right. <laughs> then right. things have changed quite a bit since then. Yeah. No, you don't. Yeah. If anyone that says you have to hustle and you have to be everywhere your customers are at online are full of it. That means they've all, they're a celebrity or they, they, it's easy because they just have to go on a platform because people already know them. Right. That, that, that's not regular people. Yeah, you need you need to focus on being great at one because there's just enough to figure out with those. Yeah, so good, so good. Well, another question that I I know comes up a lot is this question of consistency, which I would argue is different from having a certain frequency. Um, I mean, my thought around it is it's better to be present on a regular basis, but don't worry so much about you have to do this thing five times a day or it's never going to work. What are your thoughts on that? Well, my, my truth is probably somewhere in the middle. I mean, I, hmm. I always, I, I talk about this in the book where you have to be like Norm Peterson from Cheers. You know, you have to show, <laughs> right. Norm showed up every day. And when Norm showed up, he always had something interesting to say as he was walking through, they yeah. go, Hey, Norm, and he would say something funny every time. Yeah. So, Pick the frequency where you can have impact and you have the resources to do that. That doesn't mean that you have to blog every day or podcast every day or have a YouTube uh, special out every day. It means what makes the most sense with the resources you have that you can be amazing, that you can be indispensable. So like I, with my newsletter, with the time that I'm spending on everything else, I dedicate, I send a newsletter out every two weeks for my personal newsletter. I mm -hmm. feel I can be great. I can deliver an amazing content experience to my audience every, once every two weeks. I can't do every week. So I've been doing that for the, you know, the last two years. I've built an audience of over 10,000 people. It's worked fairly well to do it that way. So figure out what your, I'm going to show up and I'm going to be amazing. What does that look like with a podcast, with an email newsletter, with a blog, with a YouTube, with TikTok, God help us all, whatever it is, right? <laughs> so focus on what that is. So I think you and I are probably on the same page. You don't have to show up every day somewhere, but you, you know, if you're, if you're delivering content, content is a promise to your customers. And once you break that promise, you're pretty much dead in the water. So if you, if you're sending out, let's say a weekly email newsletter that goes out every Friday morning, and then just one Friday, you stop to send it, you stop sending it. You might not ever get that person back. Right. And it's very, very hard to win a subscriber over. Hmm. So the same thing is with anything else you do. It's always that consistency. And once you lose that, boom, you might not ever get it back. So that's what we find in all the case studies is they always deliver whatever consistency means to them. That could be daily. It could be weekly. It could be monthly. But every time they do, it's amazing information and they deliver something interesting and something that's going to help that audience with their, you know, get better jobs, live better lives, whatever the case is. 
Yeah. I love the way you put it. Uh, pick the frequency where you can have impact with the resources you have. Because I know for me personally, for nine years, I did a weekly newsletter. And I got to the point where I realized I need to pull back a little bit and refocus on where is my energy going in terms of the marketing that I do? And yeah, it's true. It's a risk because if, if people are used to seeing something on a regular basis and you pull back from it, um, it's true. You may, you may lose them. And at the same time as uh, an entrepreneur, you need to be looking at your resources and, and deciding where you want to put your energy as well. So I, yeah, I love the way you, you put that. And, and by the way, it, it's not just small companies. I mean, I, I, you, in back in the day, I used to do mostly consulting with billion dollar companies and we would go in and we'd do a content audit and we'd look at all the stuff they're doing. I mean, they're, they're doing 14, 16, 18 different things yeah. on all these different platforms. And, th and then they're expecting me to come in and recommend more content to them. Like I'm the content <laughs> marketing guy. So I'm like, I'm supposed to come in and say, oh, you got to do this wonderful documentary series. You've right. got to do whatever. I come in there and I, I say, you know, half of this stuff you've got to cut, cut down now. Yeah. You've got to kill this now because you, even if you're delivering consistent, consistently, it's not very good. Yeah. You, you can't be great at 16 different things at one right. time, even if you have Amazon type resources, because right. if you notice, even Amazon and Google, they don't do this. They right. focus on, I mean, Prime started out very, very small. Now Prime's become this behemoth, but it started out just a couple things. Yeah. So focus on that first. Yeah. So good. Well, um, I, I feel like I could talk to you all day. This is such a, a great topic and your model is so interesting. I One thing I definitely did want to touch on though, before we get to the rapid around, and that is monetization. I mean, the whole point of having a business is to make a profit. And yes, you can do many wonderful things in the world, but a business specifically, that's the focus. So how do you level up to having this kind of holy grail in a way of multiple revenue streams? How do you, how do you make that transition? Well, once you get, you know, we got to the base and once you start building an audience, you really do want to get to some kind of revenue number as quickly right. as possible. Because, sure. uh, I mean, how, how many months do you want to eat ramen noodles and bologna sandwiches? <laughs> I mean, it's, that's, what, that's what my wife and I did for a long time because, right. you know, it's tough. It's tough out there. Now, if you plug the content egg model into an existing framework, that's you probably already products to sell. That's fine. But if you're starting this as an entrepreneur, You've got lean times for the next nine to 18 months. So you've got to get to revenue as quickly as possible so that you can say, okay, well, there's something here. We actually have something. What's amazing is we see about the 18 to 24 month mark, you get to a point where you can start selling all kinds of different things. And we talk about in the book, there's 10 different ways to drive revenue, whether you're saying, oh, I'm going to launch a sponsorship program, we're going to do events, or I've got multiple product lines, or we've got a consulting service or we're going to do an affiliate program, whatever the case is. I believe that the best companies out there, I don't care if they're content companies or whether it's Amazon, they have more than five different revenue lines and they're, they're very protected when things turn south. Mm -hmm. So if just like your stock portfolio, if you're in all stocks, let's say that you're all in Tesla stock, you could have a great month, right? But then you're crying the next month because right. it's just up and down. And what we want to do is we want we have a little <laughs> bit more predictability. 
So we want to make sure that, okay, we've, we've got a good, nice rounding of revenue options. So when this year, if events go down the tubes, which they did in 2020, Mm -hmm. in the beginning of 2021, maybe you have a nice sponsorship line or a nice product line to back that up. You're going to be okay. Well, in 2022 events are going to be off the hook, off the charts. Yeah. They're going to go crazy. So now you go back and forth. So I would say once you build that loyal audience, you want to add as many possible forms of monetization as possible to to just protect you and also to grow. I mean, a content marketing institute, we had about seven or eight different revenue lines. Mm. And that really helped us, especially with the sale of the company, to show that no matter what came down the pike, whatever economic conditions, we were going to be just fine. Yeah. Well, it's so, uh, I mean, the pandemic is just an incredible, incredibly stark example of how something can completely evaporate. And speaking, for example, at conferences, Mm -hmm. and then suddenly it just kind of comes back in a very dramatic way because circumstances shift. So to me, it's it's a bit of a uber dramatic model for how businesses generally need to pivot and make adjustments and explore different revenue streams because that protects you from those kinds of fluctuations. Yeah, I have a lot of, a lot of my friends. So this is, you know, March of 2020. I have a good number of my friends that just did speaking. That was all their revenue. So they did multiple Mm. millions of dollars a year in just speaking. Well, guess what happened in April? Yeah. Everything was canceled and they went from, you know, million dollar revenue a year to zero. And of course, some of that came back virtually, but not very much of it from a yeah. paid standpoint. Right. So what if instead of just focusing on that one revenue line, what if they were diversifying over the years and they had, I mean, they would have been in a much better position. They would have been struggling. Not that they're, you know, when you, when you go, you know, it's, it's interesting. You have to define what a rich person is. And, <laughs> and actually Scott Galloway from the Prop G podcast, he does it really well, where he says a rich, a rich person is somebody that makes more than they spend. <laughs> so that's what you have to think about. So if you're if you're making a million, you're, you might be spending more than that. You might not be right. rich. So you just multiple revenue types really help in this kind of situation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Joe, I always do a rapid round of, of three questions about impact at the end of these interviews. Are you game to answer? I'm game. This? Let's yeah, let's do this. Great. So the first question is: What's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact? Well, I mean, it's it, this, I don't know how this is going to come out, Ursula, but I, I feel if you focus <laughs> on, if you, fo- if you focus everything that you do in business on helping other people, it comes back to you. Mm. And that's, that's impact for me. I mean, even when, you know, we started our foundation, Orange Effect Foundation for speech therapy, we were, all we're trying to do is help kids get speech therapy that where their families can't afford it. And we started with one family. And now that we're up to like 250 families mm. and that those things just feed on each other. So it's just one small thing that you can do. So when I talk to entrepreneurs, when I'm coaching them and they get in a rut or they're depressed or the business isn't working, I always say, okay, let's not focus this on what you're doing or you're not doing. Let's focus on your customer, your audience, that person on the other side of that email that you're sending. Why don't you be helpful to them today? If you're helpful to them, you make an impact that will ultimately come back to you. But sometimes it just takes time. So you yeah. kind of have to, you know, focus outward if you want to make an impact and and not, you know, we get into this mode of, oh, we've got to do all these things as entrepreneurs. Well, 
let's just help one person today. Right. Yeah, that's great. And I'm glad you mentioned your foundation, the Orange Effect Foundation. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes, but um, you know, you're doing such good work and it comes from a personal uh, personal standpoint of your, your son being autistic and, and uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about why that's important to you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just something you go through. I mean, my, our oldest was three years old, didn't have a vocabulary uh, on the autism spectrum. Uh, what, what are we going to do? So we, you know, in-depth, uh, aggressive speech and play therapy. He had a tutor till he was um, eight, nine years old. And now he's going to be a sophomore in college. He's doing fantastic. Oh, um, but, but early intervention speech therapy got him to that point where he could do anything that he wanted to do. Well, what happens, and I just learned, I didn't know this, but as you go through and you meet some of the families that sometimes insurance doesn't cover these things, right. sometimes you just don't have money. And when you're, especially in really down times, if you have to choose between putting dinner on the table as a family or getting speech therapy for your child, what are you going to choose? Sure. Dinner every time survival, right? Yeah. So that's why we created this thing. Cause we just, it was, it's just so sad to find out that, and it, it's not much, you know, you get one or two sessions a week can change the stars for these kids, yeah. but if they need, they need access to it first. So while there's a lot of great organizations, autism speaks, a bunch of other ones out there doing amazing research, we wanted to focus on the kids that already have these problems that just need a little therapy to get going. So, mm. you know, we've been doing this since 2007. Orange Effect became a 501c3 in 2014. And now we're just fundraising. We just fundraise like crazy so that we can deliver. <laughs> and we've got a great board. Actually, right now they're, they're in the office to the side of me figuring out going through applications on, you know, which kids really need this and making the tough decisions to figure out which families can you know, need the, needs this money this quarter so that right. their kids can have speech therapy. Yeah, so. that's great. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Well, the second rapid round question is, what's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most? Uh, I would say the, the goal setting. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> absolutely the goal setting. You know, you think when you start, you, know, you read books like Think and Grow Rich from Napoleon Hill or mm -hmm. Stephen Covey books are all fantastic. And you're like, okay, well, I'm going to put my own little success formula together. And you never think that, you know, if you write things down, review them on a regular basis, that it's actually going to have an impact. And then from there, what really helped me was, was not just focus, focusing on career goals or financial goals, which obviously I've had, and I still have, but when I go through and say, okay, well, what are my financial goals? And then what are my career goals? But you also have to say, what are my family goals? And what are my mental goals? And what are my physical goals? And what are my phil uh, philanthropic goals and spirit? You know, those things. So you're a well-rounded person and you want one or two of those every time. So you're not just focused on business, 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 which, which entrepreneurs can absolutely do. Right. We focus on, every, you know, we live it. We live yeah. it every day. We get up thinking about it. We go to bed. But if you can focus on some of those goals that are, you know what? I need to spend an hour with my kids every day. I need to make that time. You know, I need to read two non-business books so I don't drive my wife crazy with this <laughs> stuff. And I'm not, I'm actually somewhat well-rounded. Right. So those are the things that have really helped me. And, and I still have my, you know, my six goal areas and still review them. And uh, it makes all the difference for me. Yeah, that's great. Well, the last wrapped around question is what's one piece of advice or an insight you'd share with another business owner who's thinking, I want to have more impact. How do I do that? What would you say to them? Hmm. I, 
I mean, you talked about passion before. This I get this all the time where a, a new entrepreneur will come to me and they'll say, I really love this. I want to do this the rest of my life. Or I'm really passionate about this. I said, that's great. Are you good at it? <laughs> because honestly, if you're passionate about something and you love to do something and you're not good at it, I've, it, I don't, it usually doesn't turn out very well. Right. So what I recommend is, and this is where you get a lot of entrepreneurs that get into ruts then they focus on the things that they feel that they're, they love so much. And I would say, let's, let's flip that. Let's focus on things that you're really good. That's why when we talk in the sweet spot, we don't talk about your passion area. We talk about your expertise area. Mm -hmm. Where can you tell a different story? Where can you add value that no one else can add? So I guarantee you, if you build a successful business, you'll absolutely love it. <laughs> you will love it. But if you love something so much, you, ne you don't necessarily make a business out of that. So that would be my, you know, if there's a struggling entrepreneur out there, I would really look at, look, am I focusing on the things that I'm really good at? I'd like to do the whole um, exercise where you put down your expertise and your skill areas and write them down and say, am I really focusing on the things that I'm good at, that we're good at right. as a company, instead of just focusing on the things that, you know, I feel I want to get up and do. So right. sometimes you got to make, you have to make the tough decisions. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And um, yeah, thanks for sharing that perspective. I think that is so crucially important because it's, it's a big disappointment when things don't work, if you don't have the skill set to bring to it, the expertise. So um, the talent, whatever, whatever you call it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Joe, thank you so much for being here today. I think uh, you bring a really great perspective on marketing with some really practical uh, ways of bringing that to monetization in your book. And uh, thank you for sharing all of that today. I appreciate that. This was a great, I had a great time. Of course, uh, you know, anytime, <laughs> anytime more entrepreneurs can think a little differently about having to be on every platform we want to talk about, but uh, the simple model is usually better. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. Well, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? So yeah, Content Inc., the book, it's out and uh, you can get it on any bookstore. Go to content-inc.com. And then the new business, as we talked about a little bit, is called The Tilt, thetilt.com. And it's a two times a week newsletter that focuses on content creation. It's the same things we're talking about, Ursula. So if you want more of you know, twice a week, that's what we deliver. And, uh, and I'm at Joe Polizzi, P-U-L-I-Z-Z-I, everywhere on the web. So Twitter or LinkedIn or wherever you want to connect with me, I'm there. Great. Well, thanks so much, Joe. Thank you for the work you're doing in the world. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Join me for more episodes. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app and help us spread the word. Rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. To discover more about your impact, schedule a business impact assessment one-on-one -on -one with me 60 minutes of focus on your and your company's impact and how you can increase it. Go to workalchemy.com BIA to schedule your business impact assessment. This podcast is produced on the traditional lands of the Cherokee, Tuscarora, Catawba, and Waccamaw Sioux and people. 